0: I'll say this, I hate when I have slow internet, and I hate getting hostility from business computer guys. Uh, If you're sick and tired of yours, and your network's not running properly, if he takes forever to call you back, are you paying the company good money to keep things working, but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues, Does your head hurt from having to deal with all of this? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom at Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. Heritage is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network runs correctly all the time. It's for one mon- low monthly fee. Uh, I know that when I've done this before, one low monthly fee is great. With clients from South Carolina, to California, Heritage has you covered. So please call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage today, 843-664-8989. That's 843-664-8989 or HeritageDigital.com and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. This portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Rock and roll! daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, July 28, 2021. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Decided to throw the Heritage Digital ad at the beginning uh, just because, I don't know, they're the sponsor of the first segment, right? And again, Matthew Odom, 843-664-8989. But I kind of felt cattywampus when I would start the show and then immediately go into an ad, a read. Uh, So I just decided to cut a spot, put it at the beginning. Uh, You know, just uh, for those of you that, you know, understand you have to have ads, uh, you know, to kind of make it go. (laughs) That's uh, that's what I did. But I think from an execution standpoint, um, it's better to have that before the intro to the show, just right off the bat. And then I can just sit here and roll and talk Carolina. Um, Gamecocks. So Shane Beamer and Dabo Sweeney uh, had a joint press conference yesterday. That was interesting. Um, you know, and I haven't seen anybody go. Ah, oh, well. I wish he wasn't friends with that guy. You know, uh, Steve Spurrier was friends with Dabo Sweeney. They love to jaw back and forth uh, theatrically in the media, but uh, you know they they're still friends and all that. Uh, no matter how you feel about Dabo. His success is uh, hard to argue with. Um, I think Beamer uh, is a positive energy guy, uh, not you know, and, and, and all that, and that's been mentioned. But, but but I'll mention this too, just in case some of you were like, oh, I don't know, man, is he too nice or whatever? Shane Beamer is one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. Um, he literally, you know, we talk about great competitors all the time. Uh, and you can just tell it hurts them when they lose. They want to compete at everything. Uh, and, and that's who he's been since he was a long snapper for Virginia Tech back in 1999, whether that's recruiting, winning and losing, whatever. So he's going to bring a big competitive edge as a head coach, uh, even though, you know, he, he may not be like Steve Spurrier taking shots or, you know, mad all the time like other coaches. Uh, he's a different approach guy you know because he's got a unique personality but i'll I'll say this there's not a lot of people i've met over the years and uh, i first met shane beamer back in 07 when he was came to south carolina um and uh so i've known him for 14 years and there's nobody more competitive and and straight up you know he he is a positive energy guy and a nice guy but if you cross him yeah i've seen it you know he's not going to be happy and he's not afraid to take a uh a player to task or or whatever. So just, just in case you were wondering about that, you know, I can I can tell you without a doubt, he's very competitive. Most coaches are. Uh you know, Will Muschamp very competitive as well. Um, so that's the deal there. And uh just wanted to kind of say that in case some of you, I mean the rivalry always lives and exists. And I don't, you know, I don't want people to kind of get the wrong impression about Beamer just because he's you know at an event talking to Debo Sweeney um, and, and having a joint press conference or whatever. Uh, and like I said, I haven't seen any negative reaction, but I wanted to get that out of the way. All right. So on the bigspur.com today, one of our more famous posters, Lorenzo 80, uh, he had a big post about, you know, elite coaching and, you know, because I think with all this expansion talk, you know, it's always going to get back to on this podcast and on the big spur and all of us, how's it going to impact South Carolina? You know, great. The SEC is going to make a lot of money. We know that, whatever. Um, but how's it going to impact South Carolina? And, you know, the, a lot of people, you know, and, and you can kind of tell when it comes to members of the big spur, who's going to feel this way. But uh, I, um, you know, that that That's the question. And so he, he posed, you know, and, and some people are like, oh, they need more parity. They need to limit scholarships and make them manage it like an NFL roster and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think, if anything, they need to expand the roster. I think that would help South Carolina. Uh, and you're like, well, wow, Clemson and o- Oklahoma and Texas and all these schools, they'll get 10 more really good players yeah, from a ranking standpoint. But, you know, if you're South Carolina right now, You know, you're trying to go evaluate the three-star canyon, so to speak, like a lot of programs. Uh, And the more slots you have, the more chances you have to hit on those guys. It's like playing uh, Keno or (laughs) roulette at at different points. But if you know what you're doing, you can make it happen. Uh, So I don't agree with that. But, um, you know, and he had a good post that said programs have risen and fallen, you know, because of coaching they made bad hires and my friend Josh Pate, uh, echoes that, you know, with, uh, when he talks about Alabama and their dominance, you know, it's like, well, you know, you hadn't had really good, uh, really good coaching hires. You had guys that screwed it up or not won enough or bad things have happened to them or whatever. And, you know, that's true. You know, it's it's no coincidence that, you know, South Carolina, I think has nine bowl wins in its history. And, um, or 10, 9, 10. Well, 7 of them are by Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. So, yeah, it's 9 because Will Muschamp had one and Brad Scott had one. Um, ironically, Lou Holtz and Brad Scott combined 3 and 0 in bowl games. <laughs> but um, you know, so so it's that, that that's no coincidence that, you know, really good coaching helps you win more games. That's that's a that's the bottom line. I want to take this a step further though because this is kind of my wheelhouse as far as expertise goes, uh, and then circle into recruiting for a little bit and then come back to the actual on-field stuff and what you need, more, more of what you need. Um, you look at some of the coaches who have either revitalized programs, built programs, uh, gotten programs back on their feet. They universally – all have elite recruiting plans. Um, some places recruit themselves, uh, like Ohio State. Uh, they take the top guys out of Ohio every year. It's a great state to recruit. Georgia takes top guys out of Georgia. But you still have to tweak those places in order to maximize. There's been a lot of programs that because of, you know, blowing the recruiting plan, their roster ends up being not as good, and they end up falling. Um it's not the case that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma right now. Um, Georgia's right there too. But uh, and I want to take you down kind of memory lane a little bit and give you give you some examples. Okay, and you may not be aware of this, so bear with me. Uh, I'll start off with Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban comes from Michigan State. He goes to LSU. Uh, LSU had kind of been floundering. You get your Jerry Donardo's and your Curly Hallmans and. You know, Mike Archer's, Bill who you name it. They've had, they, they cycled through coaches, hadn't been really good uh, in a while, good here and there. We, we all remember that, well, those of us that were around, remember the 87 LSU team with Mike Archer was pretty good. I beat the Gamecocks in the Gator Bowl. When Saving got to LSU, and I've been told this by people that have worked with him, that were there ground level when they first started, and, and you know, Will Moss Champ, Kirby Smart, Derek Dooley, all those guys were on that staff. Uh, he realized he was sitting on a gold mine in what's called the I-10 corridor. Now, I-10 goes for recruiting purposes. It goes it goes all the way out west, but for recruiting purposes, the I-10 corridor, uh, as it's described, you know, it goes from Jacksonville to Houston, basically. Um, so, lop some of that off, you know, and it didn't go all the way past Mobile, but go just just lop it off and go Mobile to Houston. There's more defensive lines, talent, skill, talent, speed, you name it, in that area than uh, in a lot of places in the United States. You know, it, it, it's, it's severely underrated. He realized he was sitting on a gold mine, especially in the state of Louisiana, which is always defensive line heavy, wide receiver heavy, skill, set, skill position heavy, outside of quarterbacks. It's cyclical just about everywhere but Texas and California uh, and now Georgia but uh and he he did that he made it a an intense focus on the state, and then he'd go raid Houston for guys, and then he'd go pick guys off here and there nationally uh and and that's what built lSU in a month. you remember that two thousand and three lSU team how big and athletic and tough they were and fast well, he got all those guys from right there you know it's, it's no secret I don't you know i I didn't go that far back in recruiting to know. How many were leaving the state at the time in Louisiana? Uh, But he tapped into the fact that most of those kids in Louisiana grew up dreaming of coming out of that tunnel on Saturday night at Tiger Stadium, and he got just about everybody. And that's how you build LSU, I-10 corridor, focus on recruiting. It's an elite recruiting plan. Um, And I've talked before about what he did when he got to Bama. Really, it was a perfect time to get to Bama because the 08 class – uh, in the state of Alabama was elite, Julio Jones, Marcel Darius, uh, you name it. And they got everybody. And that jump-started them because Mike Shula and his staff hadn't recruited poorly. You know, let's get that straight, too. They were recruiting pretty well. And so he comes in and puts that class in there, got Mark Ingram because his dad knew him from Michigan State. Uh, and, then, and then away we go. And wh- whatever Alabama is doing now is is probably irrelevant to a program that wants to rise because you're not going to be able to do it at South Carolina or 98% of the programs in the country, 99 probably. Um, So so there's an example. Philip Fulmer, okay, Tennessee, up and down, whatever. Johnny Majors did some good things. Fulmer, we all kind of figured out how he got the job or whatever. But Philip Fulmer, I'll say this, godfather of modern recruiting. Fulmer at the time realized the state of Tennessee does not produce enough players for us to be good, never has, uh, up until that point, I think it's getting there. So if, if you're a Vols fan and have to be happen to be listening to this, I think you can, you know, the problem now is kids are leaving Tennessee. Um, but, but in that state, too, you know, you got a lot of players in Memphis that are closer to other schools. Uh, Nashville has just now become a talent producer, that kind of thing. So Tennessee was really one of the first teams in the Southeastern Conference to go national, if you think about it. Um, other schools were just – you know, Florida was good at the time. They were kind of recruiting Florida. Georgia was recruiting Georgia. Alabama schools were recruiting Alabama. Auburn does their thing. It was an elite recruiting plant. Tennessee had the biggest recruiting budget at the time. Tennessee went all over the country to find players. They raided Georgia when they could. They raided the Carolinas when they could. They went into Alabama and got guys, went in Mississippi. Uh, every state that touched Tennessee, you had to worry, and even the ones like South Carolina that are close – you had to worry about them coming and getting your guys got guys out of California, Texas, wherever you name it, Philip Fulmer and his staff were on it. Good news for South Carolina, Greg Atkins and Shane Beamer were and Marcus Satterfield were part of that, you know, early 2000s. And so that's that's another thing and that that, you know, Tennessee won the 1998 National Championship. They were in national power. Uh, you know, they got Peyton Manning out of New Orleans, by the way, speaking of Louisiana. Uh, that was before Saban got to LSU, uh, and I, I don't know who was at Ole Miss at the time, but um, you know, it, it, Tommy Tuberville, maybe. No, it was it was somebody. They were going through a, a period of Trent Billy Brewer, maybe at Ole Miss, but uh, Fulmer. You know, there you go. Elite recruiting plan, uh, Miami. You can trace the rise and fall of the mighty Hurricanes. Uh, the rise started in the early 80s with How- Howard Schnellenberger and go through to Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, all those great teams. The state of Miami, they drew a circle around their campus and they said, Hmm, huh, I believe there's a lot of good players here. Let's go get them all. And they did. And you saw what happened. I mean, and then Butch Davis recreated it and, and got them to where they were in 01 when they won it again. Uh, and then you see it kind of fall off. You know, Randy Shannon, Al Golden started taking guys from the Northeast that were skill position guys. They started kind of getting greedy. Um, and Miami's always going national for, like, quarterbacks and offensive linemen. They had a bunch of offensive linemen from Canada at one point. No, not Germinder then Justin Sorensen type offensive. These these guys were elite. Um, you know, and occasionally you go to tight end, you'll get a kid out of Louisiana or whatever – but the vast majority of their roster was South Florida. And it was daggum difficult to go into South Florida and get players. Well, now Miami, they haven't won but one division title since 05 in the the ACC, in the worst division in the ACC. Uh, And you look and you see, well, Calvin Ridley went to um, Alabama. Jerry Judy went to Alabama. Um, Plenty of kids from down there have gone to Ohio State, you know, George Georgia's taking some guys from down there. Now, Manny Diaz has a new plan, and I think they're trying to be kind of transfer portal U right now, and, and that's fine too. But, you know, Howard Schnellenberger, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, Butch Davis, elite recruiting plan. Miami's one of the best teams in the country. Bowden at Florida State, and this is interesting as well because you can tie it into Jimbo Fisher and their slight rise at the time. He took it and he took the Florida state job. And, and by the way, thoughts and prayers to Bobby Bowden and his entire family, Terry, Tommy, Jeff, those guys um, really, really sad news, uh, you know, lately on him, but he got to Florida state. They didn't really have any tradition. They really hadn't won a whole lot. They were a teacher school, all women back, you know, in the forties and fifties. So way behind the Gators and even Miami at the time. and, The state of Florida experiences a population boom that always coincides with, you know, elite football talent because your population a lot of times determines that. I mentioned Nashville. Growth in Nashville has equaled more players. Um, And he rode that. And you look at some of their great teams, you know, they didn't just have Florida guys on their team. Remember, they come up into South Carolina and get players – Elite guys, North Carolina get guys. We remember Alex Barron and, uh, you know, Greg Jones and, and uh, the Jamie Robinson from Northwestern, not the Jamie Robinson that's there now. It's kind of interesting, both Jamie Robinsons at FSU. And, and they were good players. Uh, and they get guys out of – like work done from Louisiana, um, which was, you know, Tallahassee's only I-10 corridor, so that works. Um where they started falling off in the mid two thousands during kind of the last six, seven years of his tenure was they would have, they went all in on national recruiting and they would have these big recruiting weekends and get players from all over. You're taking, Oh, I'm taking this five-star kid out of Ohio. Meanwhile, everybody else is grabbing those Florida guys, those Florida three stars that they used to get or whatever. I think they got a little greedy and, program fell. Jimbo comes in. You look at the team that won the 2013 National Championship. Yes, they got Jameis Winston out of Alabama. The rest of those kids were Florida guys. Devonte for You know, that you look Kelvin Benjamin, Bell Glade Glade Central. LaMarcus Joiner uh was from somewhere uh either Dade or Broward, South Florida. Uh and then they go up into South Georgia like the Valdosta area and get players. Um and then, of course, you know, in Florida, you're going to have to go get offensive linemen from elsewhere sometimes, and uh, you know, quarterbacks and stuff like that. But Jimbo's team that won the national title, by and large, heavy Florida kids. Started to fall off though, because they, you know, they ended up getting guys from elsewhere or whatever. So uh, that was an elite recruit. The elite recruiting plan at Florida State, Bowden and Fisher, both had it and lost it. Mac Brown. Mac Brown has saved North Carolina twice with the exact same recruiting plan. He's added a little, little uh, tail to it now, and of course they got guys like Ronald Curry out of the seven five seven. But Virginia Tech at the time was owning that place too. But North Carolina seven five seven, and then go spot recruit and evaluate elsewhere, and their roster, which. I think we're finding out that Larry Fedora actually evaluated pretty well. Javante Williams and Michael Carter, two of the best backs they've had. Um, now in the NFL, uh, you know, three-star kids out of North Carolina. Um, but he absolutely committed to the fact that if you get the majority of the talent in North Carolina, you can win big at UNC, and that's correct. North Carolina is a bigger state than South Carolina, and I'm going to get to that point in a second. So elite recruiting plan there. He gets Texas to the national championship twice, wins one. Vince Young, Houston, Texas. You know, by signing the elite talent from the state of Texas. So three different, two, he saved three different. He saved North Carolina twice and Texas once with an elite recruiting plan. And more on Mac Brown here in a little bit. Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, all about evaluations and in-state recruiting. Virginia is a big state. There's enough to go around. Seven five seven was a pipeline you know, they would go up. So they went up to Pennsylvania and got Kevin Jones, Lorenzo Ward actually did that. So give him credit when he was there. Um, and just out evaluated people for the most part. And then when you have a bunch of in-state guys, just like we saw with Jadevi and Clowney, uh, when you have an elite guy, they're going to really want to go, you know, and, and Virginia tech over the years, you know, has never batted a thousand in Northern Virginia. They, they do well in Richmond, seven, five, seven, but, uh, you know they still lose guys from the state. Sometimes those guys were highly rated, and weren't very good. In fact, most of the time, uh, we talk about Tory and Gray. He was there ten years, and I saw him pass on guys that people thought, "Oh wow, why, why are you doing that?" Uh, and then he get some two star from uh, the seven five seven, and and that guy would end up in the NFL, and the other guy would bust out at Michigan or wherever. So, you know, and also uh, Virginia Tech would hit North Carolina spot recruit it smart, uh, and sometimes South Carolina. And then they go down to Florida and Georgia and all that. But by and large, that was it. Frank Beamer had a good walk-home program. He had a plan from way back in the day uh, to build Virginia Tech elite recruiting, um, Nebraska under Tom Osborne. And uh, this is interesting. So so Nebraska, what they used to do is, okay, so you don't have much talent in Nebraska. Neither do you have most ta- much talent in Iowa, you have some in Missouri and they hit that very hard that was that was Husker city um, but the states that border Nebraska aren't really super talented either so what they do they recruit nationally heavy emphasis on Florida Texas and California their admission standards were not crazy difficult so they could get guys in uh and then they build a you can't just do that though because that's you know you're kind of not congruent there, but what Tom Osborne did, which was genius, was he would go and and, and and number one, he made sure his offensive line was always elite, and that was kind of a key. Just person, but that's personnel more so than recruiting and development. He had a walk-on program that that was, pr- it was probably the best walk-on program in the history of college football, and mostly in-state guys, kid tough kids from Nebraska. Uh, those of you that watched Rob DeBoer play back in the day. He's a tough kid from Nebraska. I love football. Uh, and and you know, it's kind of like panning for gold in a way when you when you have that expansive of a walk-on program. And they may have limited it in recent years, numbers-wise, because you can't have a hundred guys. But they would always find players in that walk-on program that'd be better than scholarship guys. And that 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 walk-on program also You know, you hear about Husker pride and all that. That built the foundation. Nobody since Tom Osborne has been able to figure it out. Frank Solich kept it going for a while. Same plan. He was an assistant. You know, Bill Callahan thought he was just going to go sign five stars from all over the country. That didn't work out. Bo Pelini, you know, at the time, then they moved to the Big Ten and and they start recruiting Ohio all of a sudden. and, And all of a sudden they're Michigan State and now they're worse. So nobody's been able to figure that out. Scott for, And I think their move to the Big Ten has prevented them, by and large, f- for going back to the secret sauce, um, you know, and all that. But Tom Osborne at Nebraska, Pete Carroll, the sixth choice for the Southern Cal job. Southern Cal's always going to get elite talent out of Los Angeles. They're always going to get the best players from the West Coast or be competitive for them, by and large. You know, those guys don't always work out. Uh, but what he did was – There's no NFL football in Los Angeles. Uh, He went out with cherry pick guys nationally, Texas, Florida, uh, you name it. Remember they had Alshon Jeffrey committed uh, and say, hey, look, you know, this is one of the largest cities in the world. It's a world-class entertainment capital. We are the team in L.A. We get 90,000 in the Coliseum every time we go play. Come to Hollywood, baby. And that worked for a brief moment until the NCAA came in and whatever. But that's the secret plan at, at Southern Cal. I don't know that Clay Elton does that. Uh, I look at their recruiting. I see, you know, Oregon coming in and getting guys or whatever. They still sound really good players, but but I don't know that anybody's figured that out. I don't know that Lane Kiffin could because of the scholarship restrictions at the time. So that's that's the deal there. And then Sark wasn't there very long. So, you know, that's the secret planet, or the, the elite planet, Southern Cal, Oregon, 44 years for the most part of continuity. So there's one period a few years ago, they uh, they fire Mark Helfrich after he goes four and eight. I think it was kind of a panic move, but, you know, Helfrich was sort of living off Chip Kelly, lost the national championship in the bottom. And so they're worried. So they go out, they go make a horrible hire in Willie Taggart. Okay. Uh, If I'm an Oregon fan, I'm waking up in a cold sweat every night going as Willie Taggart still our coach. Was I dreaming that he went to Florida State? Whatever. But, you know, thankfully for Oregon, he leaves after a year. And then they again promoted from within. Rich Brooks had Mike Bilotti on staff. Mike Bilotti takes the job. Mike Bilotti had the genius to hire Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly comes in and takes Mike Bilotti's job. Mark Helfrich took Chip Kelly's job. Then there's a little bump in the road. But then, you know, let's go back to what works. Mario Cristobal gets promoted. Uh, and and so the continuity has helped. And, you know, I don't know what Willie Taggart did in recruiting out there one year, but I know what Mario does. I don't know what everybody else has done. And that's sell facilities and recruit everybody in the country with speed, you know, hit the West Coast pockets, but also go into Texas and in the South and try to get guys. You, It's a true national approach. Uh, because Oregon, one of the best programs in college football, the last, however many years, if you look at the in-state recruiting, a lot of times when there's a guy in Portland or wherever he goes out of state, he doesn't go play for the ducks weird, huh? Um, and, 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 you know, that's what, that's what Mario Cristobal is doing. He hits Los Angeles hard, but he also goes and finds speed. and, And I think he's improved the line of scrimmage, but that's the plan for that school. Sell Nike, sell facilities sell a fun style of football, and go all over the country to do it. Uh TCU under Gary Patterson, Baylor under Art Briles, co-Big code, code 12 champions in 2014. Let me tell you what they did. And it's almost the opposite end of the spectrum. But the, the bottom line is Briles and Patterson both out-evaluated Texas and Texas A&M, and that led to their rise. Briles would do it different. Uh you know, and and here's where Mac Brown messed up a little bit. I'm going to talk about Mac Brown more. He would start just having junior days in February, and this was around class of 05-ish, you know, so they still got back to the national championship game. But you kind of see it because you're like, eh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if this is the right way to go. Um, and then after that last national championship game appearance, things started getting really bad. They'd have a junior day. You'd have the quote-unquote top 15 guys in Texas. Texas would have 14 of them committed by that junior day, February, before they sign. Well, in the state of Texas, you know, you've got a lot of finished products as far as football players go. And then you got just as many guys that blow up their senior year, you know, all that. And, and it, there were, it was in that little time frame where Texas would do it. Well, here, here's what Baylor did, and Kendall Bryles was a big part of that. They would offer kids even earlier and try to get them committed. You'd look at Baylor's commit list two years out or a year out or a year and a half out or whatever before Texas had its junior year And you're like, I got four guys committed. I haven't even watched on film. You'd watch them. You're like, Oh, those are top 100 kids. And mathematically. Yeah. You know, they'd have six, seven, eight elite guys committed, you know, maybe three or four go to A&M, but you still got four. And then you go and you recruit the rest of Texas and, and do what you have to do. So they were the early birds. Gary Patterson was the late, the late bird, I guess. He would wait till senior year uh, and go out and evaluate the state of Texas. And boy, there's a lot of guys that blew up that you know, Texas doesn't have room, AM's not paying attention to them, Oklahoma's not, and he would get a lot of great players that way. So they were kind of the it, but you know, how do you build TCU elite recruiting plan? How do you build Baylor Elite Recruiting Plan? for that place. And that's very important as we go through this discussion. Not all schools are situated equally. Um, It's not so much you take the Alabama – like I said earlier, you can't take the Alabama plan and apply it to South Carolina. You have to have your own plan. Even if South Carolina were winning, you know, you can't can't just take that plan and apply it. Clemson's plan is not Alabama's plan, folks. I can assure you of that. You know, look how many guys that are rated, what, three stars that are going to be starting for them this year. Because they got elite talent. Those are very talented players. It's just not, you know, that they do what works for them. And and so everybody in the country essentially has to do what works for, for them. There are some schools that are similar. I mentioned Ohio State and Georgia. Uh, but, um, you know, so, so that's that uh, as far as those plans go. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bill Snyder at Kansas State, one of the greatest ascensions in the history of college football I hate the fact when they had Michael Bishop, they lost to A and M in the Big Twelve title game because I think they would have won the national championship, or at least it would have been they'd have played for it like Virginia Tech did. And what he did was go straight JUCO. Kansas has a lot of junior colleges. You can get those players, and, and yes, it's a lot of roster turnover and all that. But you don't have any talent in Kansas. You're, you know, they were one of the losingest programs in football before he got there, and he had a plan that worked for them. Jackie Sherrill Mississippi State, to a lesser extent, did that. But I, I think that that erosion of that roster was more dramatic just because kind of in the SEC sometimes, if you have a lot of turnover uh, or if you bust on those guys, and I think that was more of a problem, then you know, you're know you going to be screwed for years, and that's, that's kind of what happened there. But I, you know Snyder, everybody knows Mark Stoops. Well, how is Kentucky's roster as good as it is? uh rich brooks and joker phillips for his short tenure there they would go get their approach was a lot like what indiana's doing now uh which indiana has a good team they their approach was like we're gonna go recruit tier two and three out of the south and you know beg borrow and steal for who whatever in-state talent we've got here hit the juco ranks and we'll have enough players to compete uh, Mark Stoops changed that. Kentucky, sometimes it's about where you're at, is the northernmost uh, SEC program. They border Ohio, which is a big talent-producing state. We don't think about it in the south sometimes, but right behind Georgia, Florida, Texas, California, is the great state of Ohio. All these Big Ten teams you see sometimes beating SEC teams in bowl game, ton of Ohio kids. So he starts going and getting um, – and I'm convinced this was kind of related to the downfall – of, of, uh, Michigan state, if you will, they would go get those kids out of Ohio. Michigan state used to get Mark Stoops, elite evaluator like Antonio, and then scour the country. They'd go Juco. They go hit places like New Jersey to find that defensive end that was committed to Monmouth. Uh, and then still kind of comb the South for the tier two and three level recruits that and evaluate them. Well, and they end up being pretty good. Uh, but the Ohio focus, if you look at their roster has been the big thing because you know, they have something to th- – th- they put a lot of emphasis on Ohio, okay? Alabama may go up there and try to steal the top player. Clemson goes up there and try, and, and beat Ohio State on uh, Jackson Carman a few years back, a big offensive tackle. But by and large, you know, nobody in the SEC is going into Kentucky. I mean, sorry, Ohio like Kentucky. And, hey, it, it produced a 10-win season, eight-win season. Uh, they're to the point now where their roster's in good shape. They develop well, they evaluate well, and they're going to be a pain in everybody's backside for as long as Mark Mark Stoops is there. Um, And then sometimes, you know, when I talk about this too, you know, Kentucky, with how they're set up and their history and they're, they're not, you know, when we're applying all this to South Carolina, you know, their goals in football, as far as their fans and boosters go, this, this is high times for them. You know, they're happy going to a bowl. Uh, I'm not going to, their fans aren't basketball wine and cheesers that don't show up for football. They love football, but they are a basketball school. So, you know, when you're at Kentucky, you know, unless you come back and, you know, reinvent Jerry Claiborne's one year, or Bear Bryant when he was at UK, you know, you're hoping for this and you're hoping you know, just like in 2018, they didn't win the division, but you're still sort of hoping that one year, you know, you get in that one-game deal where, you know, you got a Georgia and you put them on the ropes and you beat them and you get to go to Atlanta, uh, the miracle year or whatever. So that's Kentucky's plan. Uh, D'Antonio at Michigan State, I mentioned, he just out-evaluated everybody. Urban Meyer is quoted as, as telling his Ohio State staff, if Mark D'Antonio offers somebody – Reevaluate his film immediately, uh, and that was Urban Urban Meyer's very smart and shrewd like that. I mentioned Tom Allen at Indiana, kind of the same plan that Rich Brooks had at Kentucky, and Rich Brooks went to a lot of bowl games and stuff uh, while he was there. South Carolina people may not realize that because the Gamecocks were routinely beating Kentucky at the time, um, but that that's kind of how he's done it. I'll take Greg Schiano at Rutgers the first time for a thousand, Alex. Rutgers obviously struggles Um, and they struggle because for years the elite recruiting plan at places like Penn state's like, we're going to take Pennsylvania kids. We're going to spot recruit the South and we're going to take everybody, anybody we want out of New Jersey and Maryland. And that's, that's a lot of players. Okay. Uh, And that's still kind of Penn state's plan. So they just, you know, New Jersey kids just go everywhere. Uh, and he, I think he realized this, that, you know, it, it's unrealistic to think I'm going to corral it. But what he did was they would sign their share out of out of that state, good players. Um, and then they would land some elite guys and keep Penn State and whoever else from getting them. But then he hit South Florida hard. Hard. And for years, when they were getting it started, Rutgers had a pipeline down to Miami. And that brought speed, skill, You know, that's a great place to go recruit when you're Rutgers. And they ascended, and I think they won the Big East and all that. Then he's off to Tampa Bay. Now he's back, and you look at their recruiting now. They're in the Big Ten now, so it's a little more of a good selling point. But um, that was how he built it the first time there. I mean, you know, so so you look at all these plans, and, you know, that, that, that coincides with coaching. You know, and, and and so I agree, you know, programs rise and fall depending on what type of coach they have. You can go back to Lou Holtz at Notre Dame, too. You know, Notre Dame always sort of has the same plan to recruit nationally in the Midwest and all that. But but Holtz got some of the admission standards lowered for football players. Um, and that helped them. You know, so there was a plan in place there. So uh there we go. So that's that. So that that's the – that kind of ties all these elite coaches together, you know, from Dabo to Saban at LSU to Miami back in the day. I tried to hit, you know, the history as much as I could back in the early 80s. Before the early 80s, you just recruiting, you just don't know. But um, that was kind of the deal there, you know. And, and so I, I think it's South Carolina. So what about South Carolina? Well – I've said this since Spurrier was at South Carolina. It's better to work north-south if you're the Gamecocks uh, than to just try to fight these battles in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida all the time. Um, you can get enough players to, to you know, have a good team every now and then and really to keep it afloat and go to a bowl every year. But But can you really build it? Um, South Carolina, and, and I wrote this down. Here's a here's a declarative statement, folks. I'm making a declaration. South Carolina is a cyclical program when it only relies on in-state talent to save its butt alone. In other words, everybody always talks about well, they had a lot of great players in South Carolina, Sean Jeffrey and, and Stephon Gilmore and Marcus Lattimore and Jadevian Clowning. Yeah, they are they were all great. And even the other guys that you know, didn't make the headlines when they committed, like D.J. Swearinger and Justice Cunningham and T.J. Johnson and Kyle Nunn uh, and Nick Jones and, and Bruce Ellington, who, who played basketball for a while, all those guys, huge parts. Tory Gurley, you know, you name it during that era. I hate saying that era. I kind of wish we were still there. I'm getting old. There were obviously great in-state players, both known and unknown that South Carolina got you know you see you see them trickle in now too with guys like Debo Samuel but there are not enough on an annual basis to make it happen and there were not there probably would not be enough even if Clemson never took another in state kid you just don't have the the numbers and it's not the numbers of Division One guys or guys that can play for you, what it's the number of like true elite difference makers, um, and that's not always five and four stars. I'm just saying you go back look at the actual numbers, you know of you know, and you'd count DJ Swearinger as an elite difference maker, even though he's a three star, you know. Um, whereas Dexter Weidman was a four, and you would not count him as that in hindsight. So in hindsight, when you crunch the numbers for South Carolina. You're not going to play winning football to the level you want to win, waiting on the in-state talent to cycle back up where you can get elite guys and go beat Alabama or beat Florida, win the division, whatever. Never going to do that. It's never going to be sustained. And that has nothing to do with Clemson getting their share because Clemson does get their share, and that hurts. You know. So South Carolina is a cyclical program if it relies on in-state talent alone. So what do you do? What I've been saying for years, go north. And I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, Texas and Oklahoma actually strengthened that argument for the easternmost SEC football program, which is South Carolina. They have big student body from up and down the east coast, from New Jersey to Virginia to the DMV to D.C. to Maryland. Uh, I know – Two or three people from D.C., Maryland, Virginia, that that went to South Carolina. Lots of students. uh, Easy to get to. People go on vacation to Myrtle Beach. They know it. They know it. Um, And you look and and see right now a program that's lost 19 of 27 games has gone and landed two four-stars out of Pennsylvania, beat Penn State on them, regardless of what, you know, the narrative is out of State College. They didn't want them or whatever. You know, and, and this is not, you know, this is not Steve, Steve Spurrier uh, and everybody going, wow, you know, Hall of Famer, sign me up. You know, this is Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo and and Gray and those guys working their butts off to build relationships and putting out a positive vibe and doing what it takes to get these guys. Right? You know? Um, so, I, I you know, north-south. Now, that's not to say – You know, your bread and butter is always going to come from the northeast because it's not. You know, you're not going to get a a class that looks like Penn State's. (laughs) You know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know, where you got 12 guys from up there. You're going to get a handful of guys a cycle, but that's a handful of guys that are more known entities, that are more national-level recruits than, um, you know, trying to – go into Georgia and, you know, like Lorenzo Ward did one year and signed five guys, none of them could play, which happens in Georgia. Uh, and so I think that's smart, you know. And I think in a lot of ways when you, when you start – if you go back, you want to use a Clemson comparison, uh, before Clemson ended up being Clemson as they are now, they were good because they would go into Florida and swipe guys you know, namely two guys, Sammy Watkins and CJ Spiller. Uh, and really, you know, they had some guys out of Florida like Tony Stewart and Jamie Harper that were big time recruits, but yeah, you know, eh, that didn't pan out. So those two guys, well, those two were such spectacular players. It, it set a precedent. So so then when you get to like their Ray, Ray McLeod's of the world or, or whoever that they go and get another five stars out of Florida, then, frank ladson whatever uh they know they know clemson and and i think the same thing can happen with marshawn lloyd and Braden davis down the road uh in terms of the game guys debo williams you know when you have good players from an area and they go and they're successful and they're on tv and all that and and, and, you know in the the tv thing and all that texas and oklahoma uh that's just going to help and i mentioned i mentioned this a lot you know people worry about texas and oklahoma Texas does not – the elite recruiting plan Mack Brown put in out there, it's the same. You know, they may spot recruiting. Them. I'm not saying they're never going to land a guy from the East Coast, but they just don't – it's all about Texas high school players. Oklahoma does go from coast to coast and go nationally, but, you know, they – we'll see how much getting guys like Caleb Williams and the the kids from Virginia they got was – Oklahoma or, or whether it was Shane Beamer, <laughs> I think we're about to find that out here in the coming years. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a good plan. You know, that can be sold in those areas also can be sold in Florida. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't just rest on your laurels. And, and like I said, get in state guy or, uh, guys from up the road, uh, up 95, uh, that's, that's sort of a supplemental deal. Uh, you got to recruit the primary four-state area. Uh, and, and I think, you know, right now there's kind of a fence around North Carolina. You see if you can knock down that fence. I think for 2023 the Gamecocks were positioned pretty well. Um, I think that 2022 there will be some good players for North Carolina in this class. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you look at it and look at what Shane Beamer's done so far, and this is just one class. Uh, and it's not complete yet, and there's still some big time talent they need to go get that, that's on the board. And I think, I think, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But you know, the the the, the previous staff with Muschamp, I thought, and, and we're going to kind of narrow the focus to Georgia, Florida, South Carolina right now. The previous staff, I thought compared to the Spurrier staff. And the Spurrier staff got some great players out of Georgia. Don't get me wrong. Mike Davis, Connor Shaw came from Georgia. South Carolina's always gotten great players from Georgia. George Rogers, Sterling Sharp, Georgia. Because um, you could just go in there and find guys that Georgia doesn't want and come to find out they actually really would have liked them <laughs> to come. Uh, and, and I've said this before. Georgia is recruiting – recruiting Georgia, if you're South Carolina, is about finding the right guys. And I thought the Muschamp staff did as good a job as anybody has at doing that. If, if you kind of look back, um, you know, 2018 class, seven players from Georgia, you know, J.C. Horn, Dylan Warnham, J.J. Barre. You know, all those guys that was the 2018 class. Uh, Kevin Harris is from Georgia, a lot of really good players from Georgia. So, you know, Will Muschamp's from Georgia, Brian McClendon was from Georgia. Uh, they, those staff members, you know, Bobby Bentley's coached on, on the border of Georgia for years. I mean, you know, there were reasons those guys went and did that, and, and they did win some battles. I mean, they beat the dogs head to head on barre and, you know, beat the rest of the sec on JC Horn, et cetera. So the concern coming in, coming in to me, would have been, well, there's really not, there's not a Will Muschamp as an assistant on this, on this coaching staff. There's not, you know, a, a guy like McClendon that's from there, you know, that has ties to the state Lance Thompson's from Atlanta. You know, I know he didn't do much, but you know, so I was like, well, that would be the concern. Cause you look, you got guys with ties to South Carolina, you got guys with ties, uh, to Texas, like Justin step. Um, you got and Gray, Virginia and Florida, you know, you, you've got Greg Atkins, who's up and down there, but, but you know, Georgia has been kind of, you know, there's not the Georgia guy, Jimmy Lindsay, obviously being at Furman and those places you have to recruit down there. But, uh, you just didn't know going in I was like well if there's an area in recruiting where they may not do as well as the previous staff uh it's in Georgia and you look at it and you're like that could end up being very unfortunate because of the some of the really the best players of the must champ era that they signed that ended up playing well I mean that they're from that state so um and it's always been important well I was wrong about that uh and the bottom line too is Shane Beamer recruited Atlanta and Georgia when he was at South Carolina and Mississippi State. Greg Atkins is recruited there. Um, that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it, it, it wasn't like there were, you know, there was no no experience at all, and they're just walking in there and signing whoever. And you look at the five guys they have from the state, and I think when you look at it, you're like, these are exactly the type of guys you need to sign. They're, they're On paper, they're like J.C. Horn-level guys. J.C. Horn was a composite four. Enigbare was barely a composite four. These guys are all composite threes. But, you know, Donovan Westmoreland, okay, here's a guy on Georgia's commit list. Georgia decides, eh, maybe we can go get this other guy. So you take him. Because he's good. And you're betting that they're wrong. And that's happened a lot. (laughs) If you look at the guys from the state that go to Georgia and the guys from the state of Georgia that get drafted, those two lists don't coincide. Same with Emory Floyd. Speed demon. Felix Hickson, I have no idea what they're thinking over there at UGA about him. I would take him tomorrow. Uh, and then you got two offensive linemen that I think are tough and athletic, which is what you look for and have big frames in mains and Henry. And, and you're like, Hmm, this is, this is a really, you know, five, good five person class from Georgia. Uh, and you're in it for the country's top tight end and Oscar Delp from Georgia. You know, you, you kind of start thinking about it. And, and then you've had a lot of underclassmen from over there that are elite coming through. So you know, that's something that if, if, you, if you want to know one surprise, it's not going into the Northeast. It's not what they've been doing in Florida. It's that they've continued to recruit at that level you have to in the state of Georgia if you're South Carolina. That's, that's a strategy that no matter who has coached at Carolina, it's worked well if you do it right. Carolina got into trouble late in the Spur era, because they were real heavy from that state. And they took, quite frankly, took a lot of guys that couldn't play. Misevaluations. Just couldn't play ball, couldn't play. Um, but, you know, and, and you could almost feel that on tape. You're like, well, they took this guy to get Mike Davis or whatever. But, um, so that's it. So now I'm going to talk about Florida. When you look at uh, that, I think – if there's a criticism I have of the previous staff and when they were hired, you didn't think this was going to happen, but it did. They didn't really hit Florida as well as, um, as they should have. And if you think back to the Spurrier era, you know, they didn't always have huge numbers from the sunshine state, but, but they, I mean, you know, Antonio Allen, a Sanders, Shaq Wilson, Steven Garcia, uh, all from Florida. All from that state. Did I mention Ace Sanders? I think I did. Uh, You know, even guys that were Spurrier recruits to play for Muschamp, Chris Lamons, Rashad Fenton, Florida kids. Defensive back wise, wide receiver wise, there's there's zero excuse for South Carolina uh, to be in the shape they're at at receiver, even with the in-state misses, because they could have gone to South Florida. I mean, West Virginia gets guys out of South Florida. They have to, You have to drive through an SEC program to get up there. Uh, but you look at this class, you know, four guys, uh, Torian Gray guys, all of them, two, or three defensive backs at d Uh Jamal Weish. you know, big athletic kid, South Florida D-lineman, really good place to go get those guys. Not going to always get D-lineman out of Florida if you're in D-line heaven, but, you know, Weiss was a good pickup that kind of thing. Kawan banks for Tallahassee. They love him on film. Uh, and then, you know, the two guys that really stand out are these big, tall safeties that can run, you know, safety has been an issue. Uh, Javante McClifton from Lake Gibson, and Gray's hometown. And then Anthony Rose, who is from Miami central, who's committed, recommitted, uh, who could probably, probably could end up being a four-star guy at the end of the day. Uh, I think his composite score dropped. Whoever did that's not smart. Anthony Rose is a guy that, that you know, to me, as long as his film checks out senior year, uh, there's too much, you know, too much good about him uh, for him to be a three-star prospect. I just think the upside is tremendous. So, yeah, and they're not done in Florida either. You know, they're they're battling the Gators for – Jamari Lyons and Jaden Gibson. Will they get them? I don't know. I, probably unlikely right now, but you never know. They're both going to officially visit. They're both like South Carolina a lot. Uh, and, you know, you need to recruit that state. You know, it, it's, it's more wide open now in the Sunshine State than when Spurrier was there. When, you know, you're not going to take guys from the big three. Well, number one, it's more realistic to do that now because a lot of programs are doing it and kids – or leaving that state for the first time in a while, number two, you know, there's no proof from over the years that they're taking the right players at all, at all out of Florida, you know, cause cause once you get past the guys that hightail it to Alabama and everywhere else, you know, arguably UCF has done just as good of a job player for player getting guys when you look at the numbers. Um, so, so it's smart to recruit down there. And that was, that was, you know, Obviously, ignoring the in-state receiver talent was the most egregious failure uh, of the last regime in recruiting, missed evaluations and stuff like that. But what uh, their failure to go into Florida and get guys, uh, I think, hurt. And and people can say, well, Florida kids didn't want to go play for Muschamp. That's not true. Um, Because when they really went after a guy, they'd be pretty successful (laughs) – Eric Wolford landed two offensive linemen from down there, Murphy and Fox from South Florida. When they went after – finally went after Rosendo Lewis, they got him. Um, obviously, he hasn't panned out just yet, but he, uh, he's been hurt and all that like a lot of guys. But, but that, to me, if you're South Carolina, you can't, necessarily, you can't afford to spot recruit the state of Florida. you you got to go find guys um because there's too much speed there's a lower bust factor with florida kids uh that love football you got to check that out too Than a lot of georgia kids etc and, and it was good with tory and gray on the staff and other guys that have recruited down there and when shane beamer was there south carolina recruited down there um there's just too much athleticism uh to ignore so they got four guys out of florida Uh, And then, of course, it's always going to be the fact, this is the case with Muschamp, Spurrier, Brad Scott, whoever, recruit your state, sign your share, leave no stone unturned. Do not let somebody like Tim Jennings at defensive back get a late offer from Georgia and then go be an all-SEC player in that state Uh, for that team. Uh, I think the same thing happened with Richard Seymour back in the day, too. Do not let a a six-foot-six-and-a-half receiver – with great athleticism and hands and good speed, go to the University of Virginia and be freshman all ACC, when it's documented, you have one receiver on your roster last season. You have to recruit the state. And when I say recruit the state, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not looking at this year's rankings or whatever and going, all right, these Greenville County kids are not coming to South Carolina. They're all ranked really high you know, they're not winning the state. And now probably on paper, you say, well, that's, you know, Jaden Lucas is probably Clemson. Jalen Sneed, we all know what happened there, going to Notre Dame. Adam Randall to Clemson, Colin Sadler to Clemson. This is going to be somebody's data point one day, though. Some some of these people that write about recruiting, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, They'd sit there, they're going to write an expose. Why are they struggling? This is going to be a talking point one day, folks. I promise. And... Even if Jaden Lucas, Jalen Sneed, Adam Randall, Colin Sandler uh, are not very good, at the end of the day, they're still going to mention this if South Carolina's strong. Um, what I'm talking about is getting Antonio Williams uh, in the boat. Uh, don't You don't let Nickham and Waray leave the state. You don't let Kyle Horton leave the state. Uh, you, you look at guys, and, and I'll mention some guys too, you know, when we want to keep score on this in a couple of years, here, here's who you look at. C.J. Stokes, who's going to Michigan. Eli Henderson, the offensive lineman for Burns, going to Arkansas. Xavier Short going to App State. And Deuce Caldwell going to North Carolina. Uh, that's where you're going to keep score on this because South Carolina could have had all of them and passed. You know? Now, in my opinion, did they make the right move? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. And it may not be over with some of these guys either. But uh, I think they're all really good players who are going to be really good at the next level, you know, wherever they go the next next level or whatever, you know. So we're going to look at it like that. DJ Jackson goes to NC State. Bennett Galloway, who is going to NC State. Quan Peterson to Syracuse. Those are the guys you keep scoring. It's not. It's not the Grievo count. It's not the, the kid. The kid going to Notre Dame. I mean, Shane Beamer and those guys tried really hard. Clayton White they didn't have a prayer, not with that coach there, and they wouldn't have had a prayer had Carolina won 19 of 27 games, and had they they won in East. Um, you know, Jaden Luke has been a national recruit for a while. I'm not sure he's a composite five star. He's a composite five. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um you know, not sure on and Colin Sadler, and I'll tell you this it's he moved up in the rankings for twenty four seven sports and uh i I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret the guy that you know because everything's done by committee, the guy that knew where to rank him, and that's not me but but I have some inside scoop on this got overruled by a dude from Texas who had never seen the guy before. Uh, you know, so I then I wish Colin Sandler the best, you know, Greenville, Greenville kid. I used to live uh, in a condo that was basically in the parking lot of Serene Stadiums. So I like the Greenville high red Raiders, you know, but Carolina's got to get Antonio Williams uh, from within the state. Uh, and then the other guys, you know, we'll, we'll keep scoring a couple of years, but that's that's going to make or break you. Obviously, going to make or break you, you know. there are going to be guys that get out. Uh, Zion Nelson, the offensive tackle at Miami, who's from Sumter, was 225 pounds, you know, and Miami didn't even offer him to late. They were desperate and came in and got him, and he's probably going to be a first-round draft pick. Uh, But but to me, you know, the the story there, that's not really a miss. But, you know, so you have to recruit the state. So that's the thing, too. So I've said a lot about recruiting – uh, and getting back to the original point of the post, recruiting is just one part of it, okay? Um, that, that's – having a great elite recruiting plan for the school you're at uh, is all well and good, but if you don't have these other things, somebody else is going to come in and take over in four years and coach your players and win. Uh, you have to have culture. These days, the world is a crazy place. Your culture within your program defines you. You never deviate from that culture. Uh, everybody's rolling in the same direction. It's not always going to be perfect with college kids. You're going to have to kick some kids off the team and all that good stuff. And but culture is 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 is, is everything. You know, when you're getting past talent and all that, uh, you have to have support these days. You have to have. Everybody from the fans, and I've talked about the Nil thing I'm not going to get into that today. Uh, you have to have administrat- an, administ- an administration that's supportive you know in other words, somebody t- tries to come poach your defensive coordinator, you need to be able to match it. you need to have world class facilities that that all falls uh, under support. I think you have to have different schemes um I, I, there aren't there's not anybody in college football that's immune for being creative because the game just evolves, you know, whether you like it or not, the game's going to evolve. Okay. I mentioned Martin Antonio earlier, Refused to evolve on offense. Nick Saban evolved. Ed Orgeron evolved. Um, Will Kirby smart evolved? Who knows? Um, but, But you know, Jeremy Pruitt did not evolve. Will Muschamp tried to evolve, but it didn't work. um, I think you have to have different schemes. Clemson University, we'll talk about that again. You know, the difference between them running Billy Napier's offense, which he still runs at Louisiana, which is a good offense, and when they brought in Chad Morris and said, here's what we're going to do, we got really good receivers and a quarterback that can chunk it. We're going fast. We're in the ACC. Who cares? Let's roll. Uh, And then don't get me started on the type of creativity that, that Brent Venables brings on defense. It's not a flawless scheme. We've seen it get lit up time and time again, but it works for them, and it's exciting, and kids want to play in it. Um, we'll see what the schemes look like this year. I know on paper, Clayton White schemes very creative, uh, and from what you hear on paper from Marcus Satterfield, yes. Uh, and, and you look at it too. I've mentioned Mac Brown again. You know, Mac got stale a little bit, and he had some recruiting issues. But they also had some coordinators who weren't keeping up with the times. At UNC, you notice he hired Phil Longo and uh, got Jay Bateman on the defensive side of the ball, two of the more creative guys in the game. And he realized he needed that. You know, Oregon, obviously, even on defense, Oregon tries to do different things. Clemson, you know, with what they do on both sides of the ball, it, it, it's, it's very unique, um, and then, it, you know, when Frank Beamer was at Virginia Tech, you know, Bud Foster's a dude kind of basically created his own defense, uh, which was great. and fit their personnel. And then their offense was versatile enough and creative enough and good to where whatever their strength was, whether that's why we got two good running backs, we're going to pound people or, you know, we got a quarterback that can chunk it all over the yard and good receivers, so we're going to throw it or we got Michael Vicks, so we're going to line up and do whatever it always adapted and worked and w- w- was very efficient. Um, so, so you kind of trace some of these schemes and, you know, at different places and, you know, all of them are sort of innovative, you know, I mean, Miami, uh, which did not come off of the pro style offense for years. Finally, last year they did, um, but they were running in the eighties and nineties and two thousands had, I mean, they were bombing away, you know, it was an exciting brand of football. So I think you have to have uh, different schemes on each side of the ball, and I, I think you have to have elite coaching from a game planning standpoint, player development standpoint, evaluation standpoint. You you have to have a lot of good coaches, um, you know, on your you know plan to revitalize South Carolina. Uh, I, I just think you know you don't necessarily always know who that is coming in. On paper, when you're talking about assistance, even the head coach, but you have to have that. You can't just have recruiting and culture and, oh, exciting schemes and all this support. And then, yeah, well, why, why is this guy playing over that guy? You know, like, you know, why are you making these personnel decisions? Uh, why, uh, why'd you make that call on fourth down? I mean, that kind of thing. You have to have elite coaching. Um, and that makes a big difference just in terms of and when i say elite coaching i'm talking about what to do in practice what to do in the games how well do you know your personnel uh in terms of who needs to be playing in the in the football game who doesn't that type of deal you know how how do you evaluate your football team program or your team your players that that's what elite coaching is now i'm not going to sit here and say the new staff is elite you you can't say that because we don't know but, you know, that has to happen uh, in order, I think, for South Carolina to rise. So you, you, you put all this together. If you don't want to be a cyclical program again, you, you can't just rely on the in-state talent to save you. Recruiting is just one part of it, that kind of thing. Uh, when you're looking at programs that have risen in college football over the years. Now, there's new things like the transfer portal. That can be an element of the recruiting plan now. There's new things like NIL. Who knows what will happen there? Um, And I'll close with this because I'm going to get on JB and Goldwater, and I'll be back uh, with the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Uh, Call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp Consulting, by the way. Uh, He will help you save money on your business. Uh, It's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money. It's credit card processing, internet, insurance, anything else. I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And if they can't save you any money, you don't pay anything. That's right. If they can't help your business, it's no cost to you. Daniel 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That's 843-372-5713, consulting. How can I help you? Eight, four, three, three, seven, two, five, seven, one, three. Also on all these advertisers, please tell them JC sent you. If you just call up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Johnny from Scott's branch. You know, they're not going to know, but if you, if you got it from here, please you know, give me a shout out just because that that helps us get feedback on all this good stuff. And the iHealth Consulting mailbag, I will, I have some questions in there today. I'll get those Tomorrow. Uh, Cause we're probably going five weeks, five five days this week, babe. Then I'm heading to the daggum Myrtle Beach, <laughs> the daggum Myrtle Beach. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I'm gonna close. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna close uh, with this, and um, and you know, guys, I always reference them because. And I'll, I'll reference somebody else and never talk about them again. And if somebody else makes the climb in college football like they have, uh, everybody's worried about NIL. Okay, and Clemson people are too, because you know numbers wise, you don't have as big of a fan base. South Carolina's not as big of a state. That type of thing. Uh, and and you know it's concerning. It's probably more concerning to Clemson than South Carolina cuz of where they're going to get players who they're going to get that kind of thing. They got to compete against Alabama and these other schools on the recruiting trail. But they didn't always have to and it didn't mean, you know, they didn't they didn't go like, you know, like right now. You know, Clemson shoot, they're they got four out of Florida, Texas, Missouri, Ohio, Virginia, beating really good players on all these guys. A lot of these Florida kids are at IMG, so you know. <laughs> right now, this is the, it, it's one way, and, and you're concerned. You're like, well, uh, you know, if you're a Clemson fan, you're like, well, shoot, I, you know, can we compete? Uh, can we go and offer as an institution or as an experience? I would say, because the, again, the, the athletics departments can't get involved with this. But as a, as a as an overall, uh, can the Clemson experience rival the Ohio State experience for Jackson Carbon uh, with the money for NIL? That's the question at the end of the day, and it looks like people are going to use this as a recruiting tool. So everybody's got to start doing it. Um, and when you got a smaller fan base, you know you're, you're a little worried about it. You know, South Carolina's fan base is probably a little bit larger than Clemson's. But not by much. So everybody's concerned about this, but I'm, I'm going to get back to this. If you are dealing with limited resources in NIL, there's really nothing that says <laughs> you can't put together a roster that wins a national championship. And I'll tell you why Clemson did it in 2015, 20. Clemson played for it in 2015, they did it in 2016. I say this all the time. The folks on that team were not all a bunch of guys that you're going to have to go out and beat Alabama for. There were some Christian Wilkins, uh, Deshaun Watson uh, were guys like that, but a lot of other guys, not so much, you know, a lot of other guys were guys from South Carolina. The Gamecocks passed on that played on that team. You you go get Jordan Leggett out of uh, Florida. I mention him all the time. Really uh, at the end of the day, Kendall Joseph was a good player from Belton and Path. Those aren't guys you're going to have to right away cut a big NIL deal with because you're not going and beating the whole country on them. So there's an example. It can be done. And I use that again. Don't want me to use Clemson as as an example. Somebody else needs to rise. Uh, Because if you look at those teams, they weren't loaded with five stars. They were five-star players, but – you know, when you're talking about NIL deals and, and if you if you do have a finite number amount of resources to compete, you know, then I think you become very selective. Hey, well, we'll take Deshaun Watson, but, you know, we're going to let Damari Kitt, who was a bust anyway, you know, take the deal from Auburn or whoever. You know, we're going to go make sure we you know wrap up Mike Williams from Lake Marion, that kind of thing. So there's your example of that, like I said. Know i talk about them a lot all right i gotta get on jb and goldwater this is not going to drop until after that segment but I, you know i had some things today that i really felt strongly about in terms of big picture um you know coming off of the realignment talk uh as it relates to south carolina and also recruiting and all that that subject really got me thinking today folks please 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 contact i help consulting and heritage digital uh my sponsors there please continue to Rate the podcast five stars, leave a nice review on Apple pods. Uh, and I'll be back with you tomorrow because I got mailbag questions and all that. Uh, again, you want to get in the mailbag at the big spur pod, tweet at us or inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. This is JC Sherbert. Hoping everyone has an outstanding Thursday. Talk to you tomorrow.